Specialty Story, session number 74. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. And welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. If you are unfamiliar with what we do at MedEd Media, you should check it out, mededmedia.com. If you're a medical student and you have pre-med friends, send them to mededmedia.com. We have the majority of our shows for pre-med students. We have the MCAT podcast. We have pre-med years, old pre-meds podcast, Ask Dr. Gray pre-med Q&A, and some more coming in the future. We even have one more coming for you, the medical student, soon. So stay tuned for that podcast announcement, which will be exciting. Today, we have an interesting guest who is a prolotherapist. Now, Dr. Ross Hauser is a physiatrist by training, and he has specialty training in prolotherapy. Now, if you're scratching your head going, what is prolotherapy? You're not alone. As a physician, I didn't really understand prolotherapy. I knew some parts of it, like PRP, and we'll get into that. But Dr. Hauser is one of the leading experts in prolotherapy, and you may, after listening to this, scratch your head a little bit more saying, mm, I wonder, right? You may be skeptical. And I, I asked Dr. Hauser at one point, I'm like, it sounds like maybe the insurance companies are skeptical and, and the health, the medical field in general skeptical. But he's a huge advocate for prolotherapy for his specialty. And you can understand why after listening to this podcast. We dive in finding out when Dr. Hauser was first interested in prolotherapy. Early in my career, there was a lady that I was trying to help, Mrs. Uh, Wright, I'll just call her, uh, and I couldn't help her. And then she had seen Dr. Hemwall uh, in Oak Park, Illinois, who was the world expert in prolotherapy, and she got a lot of help from her shoulder pain. And she said, hey, Ross, you know, you should go uh, see Dr. Hemwell about prolotherapy. So then I actually rotated with him. I did like two months with him and he was treating people from all over the country. Some of the people would fly in from Europe and the results were unbelievable. So that's when I decided to uh, study prolotherapy. How long were you practicing as a physiatrist when this happened? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I actually it was toward the end of my formal training. So I actually was in my mm -hmm. residency. So okay. I was in my residency. So my last two months of my residency, I had an elective rotation, which I did with prolotherapy. And that was in 1992. And then I joined him in 1993. So I have been a prolotherapist, a full time prolotherapist for over 25 years. What got you interested in physiatry to begin with? You know, I always liked older people. I was always one of those people that, you know, I had great grandparents, you know, grandparents who were awesome. So I really thought I was going to be a geriatrician. You know, I was going to take care of older people. But my during my chronic pain rotation in my physiatry residency, I just love the mystery of pain, the mystery of pain. And when Dr. Hemlock exposed me that most chronic pain, structural chronic pain is from joint instability, or which he called ligament laxity. 
and that the curative treatment in a lot of people was prolotherapy, obviously, then I wanted to go for the cure instead of pain management. So we've we've thrown around prolotherapy probably about half a dozen times now. What exactly is prolotherapy? Because even as a, a practicing or a not practicing anymore, but as a physician, I don't even know if I understand prolotherapy. Okay, great. That's a great term, or that's a great question. Uh, Dr. Hackett in like the 1930s started studying, uh, you know, how to regenerate or cause a ligament to tighten. So he did animal research and then eventually started treating people. So he's the one that coined the term prolotherapy and uh, it was for proliferative therapy. So in other words, the, the treatment is designed to cause the proliferation of cells and that then those cells then make the, ec- the extracellular matrix which makes up ligaments, tendons, cartilage, or whatever you're trying to uh, regenerate. If you actually look in the dictionary, Webster's New International Dictionary, it says prolotherapy, the rehabilitation of an incompetent structure, such as a ligament or tendon, by the induced proliferation of cells. So we're saying that a person has a tendon tear or a ligament tear, and we want to proliferate the fibroblasts, which are the actual cells in the body that make the ligaments or tendons. We wanna proliferate those cells so there's more cells, so then those cells can regenerate the ligaments or tendons. Interesting. So I think the majority of people listening to this, if they've gone through enough clinical rotations, they, they've seen the orthopods and the family practice docs and even the internists give give steroid injections, right, when you have a, a joint problem. Why don't enough people know about prolotherapy? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, the body's response to an unstable joint is to try itself to limit motion. So one of the ways it does, it causes synovitis, which causes a very low level type of inflammation in the joint. So because medical doctors have been trained, and you know this to be true, trained to very quickly try to get rid of symptoms, that's why treatments have gone more toward a treatment that resolves the pain quickly, okay? But we know that now that 97% of tendon tears, for instance, occur in a degenerated tendon. And what that means, Ryan, is, is that under a microscope, the degenerated tendon has way less cells than a normal tendon. So in other words, there's, there's fewer cells to regenerate the tendon in a degenerated tendon so the, the best treatment, the more curative type treatment is going to be prolotherapy. The problem is that prolotherapy is something beside physiatry. So, you know, in my field, prolotherapy is now becoming like the standard of care or one of the standards of care for pain treatment. But in other fields like family practice and this and that, uh, the, a doctor has to get training after residency. So you know as well as I do, once you get into practice, you're so busy, it's not so easy after you're in practice to then get training in something else, mm-hmm. you know? So until 
until medical schools and residency programs recognize that the cause of osteoarthritis, the cause of degenerative disc disease is ligament laxity or joint instability. In other words, the paradigm has to shift. The cause of degenerative joints is actually ligament laxity or joint instability. We, we're not going to emphasize prolotherapy. Okay. And and just another term that students may know is PRP, and, th- and that is synonymous with prolotherapy? Pro, PRP is platelet-rich plasma. So you know, as we all learned, you included, I don't know how many years ago, but probably like me a lot of years ago, we were <laughs> in medical school, we learned the inflammatory cascade. So what happens is when tissue injures and there's bleeding, platelets rush to the area, the platelets change their shape to stop the bleeding. When they change their shape to stop the bleeding, they release growth factors. So we're realizing that to simulate the way the body heals for a degenerated joint, why don't we take some blood out and then uh, centrifuge the blood, get the flu- get, get the plasma out, and just uh, then you're left with just the platelets and we can inject platelets into an injured area like the shoulder, like the lower back. And platelet-rich plasma is one of the more natural solutions we use in prolotherapy to proliferate cells. Okay. What traits do you think lead to being a good prolotherapist? You know what it is, Ryan? We, like, let, let's say what I said was correct, that the actual cause of most structural chronic pain, like somebody has a knee pain, and the pain is because the joint is actually loose. And we can document this by ultrasound, like you and I had talked about ultrasound, like dynamic ultrasound, like we can actually show the instability that the painful side is more loose or more motion than the non-painful side. So in other words, if the cause of chronic pain, structural chronic pain is joint instability, then the curative treatment, the number one treatment we should be doing is prolotherapy. But until that paradigm changes, you know, until we, we, until we stop trying to resolve symptoms and we start trying to uh, treat the actual structural cause of the pain, which is joint instability, I think in medicine, we're going to be led astray, like we're still going to use pharmaceuticals. And you know as well as I do, and I've written about this, there's no pain that the underlying cause is a drug deficiency. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, but you know what I mean? Like if we want to be healers in the truest sense and cure problems instead of like covering up the symptoms, we got to look at all diseases and try to figure out the actual etiology. And I'm just telling you, and you know, I've published articles on this. So whoever's reading this, just type in, you know, joint instability is the cause of most chronic uh, musculoskeletal pain. And you'll find articles that I've written, chapters that I've written in books on this. So, you know, the science of it shows that the most common cause of most chronic pain is structural instability or what I call joint instability. So going back to the the question for, for a student, what, what sort of traits should they have if they want to be a prolotherapist? Uh, no, you have to commit to it. Like, you have to commit to it. So, you know, like, 
think about the number of sites on the internet that if you go to Caring Medical, our site, you'll see that we do prolotherapy. Like we do prolotherapy because if the cause of chronic pain is structural instability, there's not a need to do 18 other procedures, right? That, like in other words, radio frequency, like you burn a nerve, that has a role. That has a role. Of course, it has a role. But, but you know, but uh, but it's a very narrow ro- role. You know what I mean? So, so what it is is most doctors they don't commit to something. You know, they 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 do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and they never get to be an expert. If you, with all your pain patients, if you get the skill set to document the instability by like musculoskeletal ultrasound and then you treat it with prolotherapy, then on the next visit, you look at the tissue. Ryan, I look at tissue, like if somebody has a rotator cuff tear, I saw like two rotator cuff tears today, but they're like two or three months into the PRP treatment, prolotherapy treatment, and the tear's not even there anymore. Like the tissue has regenerated. It's not normal tissue yet, but beside the patients feeling better, I'm documenting that they're getting better. So I would say, if you find something to be true, commit to it and treat your patients that way and document your results, document your results. Like that means that if somebody doesn't come back, you have to call them. Like we, like Ryan, let's say you're a patient, you've got a labral tear and I treat you two times and you don't come back for your third visit. We call you. We try to find out like, why aren't you back? And you might say, I'm not back because I feel great. So then we put that in the chart. If you, if you, if we call you and say, ah, that thing didn't do anything, da, da, da. That's really helpful information, you know. I don't think as clinicians we're documenting enough the results we're getting by the way we do it. We just think everybody's getting better. Like if the surgeon two years after the surgery would call their patients, they would really find out whether the surgery was successful or not. Because I don't think a surgeon does a surgery so somebody's better for a year, right, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So fo- you have to do follow up and you have to commit. You have to commit. You mentioned some rotator cuff tears. What sorts of pathologies and patients are you seeing? The no, I mean I see people as you know because of the internet. They don't want to get surgery, you know, because they're you know surgery is a lot of downtime, and then yeah, you know obviously there's reports on the internet. You know the outcomes sometimes aren't. So good. So people are looking for more conservative measures. So the average person we see would be somebody, you know, kind of middle age to older age that they had a degenerated tendon that eventually, you know, the tendon just tore. So the more degenerated the tendon, it means there's less and less cells to regenerate. So you can understand a normal, a degenerated tendon is a lot weaker than a normal tendon, so it gets weaker, 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 then eventually it tears. And then, so what we do in regard to prolotherapy or PRP, we use ultrasound guidance to put the PRP uh, into the where the tendon tear is, but then I'm doing a comp, what I call term comprehensive prolotherapy into the ligament support of the shoulder. So we're resolving the joint instability, and we're also helping the tear repair. What's the the strangest joint that you've done prolotherapy on? Uh, you know, we do a lot of pubises, bud. I do a lot, a lot of pubises. Like, you know, women, the more children a woman has, the looser the pubis, the mm-hmm. looser the pubis. And there's a lot of people 
that they think it's a hip problem or a lower back problem, but it's actually a loose pubis. And what we do now, Ryan, we I can, do you know the average uh, pubic symphysis is supposed to be three uh, millimeters or less mm -hmm. in width? And I got women, when I take out the ultrasound machine, their pubises are eight millimeters. So imagine their pubis has separated by five millimeters, Ryan. You know what I mean? And nobody, no, nobody's told them this, you know? So, so we put compression shorts on them to keep it tight. And then I'll do prolotherapy to tighten the ligament support there. And most people don't realize there's a disc in the, in the pubis. So yeah. that, that would, you know, cause that's a little bit of a strange joint, you know, like it's not a typical joint that they teach you a lot about in medical school. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For, for the the medical student or pre med student who loves the 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 chase of the diagnosis, what what percentage of patients are coming to you with a diagnosis already, and you just need to treat them? Which what percentage are coming to you, and you have to investigate? When I would say a hundred percent of them think they know the problem, or a doctor gave them the the problem, but seventy five percent of the time they're wrong. Hmm. You know, like like you know as well as I do, like you know, the person, they had an operation on their back and, you know, it was unsuccessful and they, the doctor thought it was the disc and then, a, then it's the right, it's the sacroiliac joints or the hip joint or the pubis. So, uh, and then, you know, with ultrasound technology, you can locate all the nerves of the body. Like I can locate all the nerves, radial nerve, median nerve. So it's very easy by history to tell when something's a compressed nerve and what's a joint problem, ligament problem. And of course, now with the technology, I can tell whether the nerve is swollen, not swollen. I can measure it. So the, the, in other words, the detail in the ultrasound scanners now, it's so detailed, Ryan, it's unbelievable. Like you can, you can measure, do you realize I can locate the vagus nerve? Can you imagine? I can see the vagus nerve in the carotid sheath. I mean, it's unbelievable what, what a doctor just in their own office can, can see. I can direct the needles. Like if I wanted to release a vagus nerve, like I thought a vagus nerve wasn't functioning correctly. Like for instance, somebody had vocal cord issues or speech issues or swallowing issues. So it's amazing what what we can do now in the office. Yeah. Describe a typical day. Uh, well, t uh, today would be a typical day. You, you got to realize, like, there was a day where I would see 20 patients a day, you know, 20 prolotherapy patients. I'm like 55 now, but I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, and you know I do a lot of writing, so I love, love writing. So what, what it is is I work really, really hard, like, half half the day I work really hard with patients. So... Like I'll do five hours solid of patients. So normally we have like four patients right away show up like eight o'clock in the morning because I have a lot of staff. So they get the patients going, though we reviewed the case the night before. So they already know like some of the patients are new, some of the patients are follow-ups. So then we decide, does a patient need a motion scan? So then like say I have a neck patient, I'll numb the musculature in the back of the neck so then the muscles can't limit the joint motion. Then we'll do a fluoroscopic evaluation of them moving their neck to see where the instability is. So say from 8 to 8.30, I'm in the office, I'm answering emails. Then 8.30, I'll probably see the first patient because the staff would have gotten them ready. Then 
then, I, then I'll start treating people. Then whoever gets scanned, now I have a physician assistant, Katie, who will then do some of the ultrasound exams because we need me as the physician to be treating them, greeting them, uh, you know, when there's new patients, you know, really getting to know them. Uh, so then I'll go over like some of the scans with the patients. And then, you know, obviously one, you know, and, and so I'll see a busy morning. So I'll see like 10 patients, you know, for like say a five hour stretch. And then, and then the rest of the day, then I'm actually, you know, like this morning, I, I, I'm, I'm the editor in chief of the journal of prolotherapy. So I, I had to review a study then I'll do my research and writing in the afternoon. So I have like, uh, you know, some, some clinical trials going on in regard to cervical instability, because, you know, there's all this thing about post-concussion stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people don't realize the symptoms of post-concussion are from cervical instability. So I have some research projects going on where, you know, we're documenting the instability, then I'm doing prolotherapy, then we're documenting that the prolotherapy stabilizes the neck, and then the symptoms are resolving. Mm. So, so five hours of patient care every day, and then uh, obviously I got to do my notes, and I do research and writing. I, I'm currently in the middle of a thousand-page joint instability book, so it's mm. mostly written, but we're working on the illustrations and the and I hope it eventually to be the gold standard. Like you'll, you know, you'll see it and you'll say like, wow, doc has a lot of, <laughs> a lot of good stuff on here that maybe he's right. That joint instability is why people have pain all over the world. Yeah. Do you have to take a lot of call as a prolotherapist? I think in private practice, if you do procedures on people, you should be available after hours for them. So uh, I have, there's two prolotherapists at my practice in Fort Myers where I'm the medical director. Then our original office in Chicagoland, there's two prolotherapists there. So there's four prolotherapists in my, you know, office, uh, in the two offices. So we all, we all, we, we, we do call one month at a time. So we are available 24 seven. So we, we, but you got to realize you'll get maybe one call a week. You know what I mean? It's, it, mm -hmm. you don't get a lot, you don't get a lot because, uh, uh, you know, so you don't get a lot of calls and you know, if you get a call, it's mostly going to be from a new patient. So we, we, we over time have, have we, after prolotherapy, you feel some stiffness, you feel some tightness, it gets red, like you're actually simulating or starting the inflammatory process again in the degenerator injured structures. And you know, inflammation is painful. So we, we, do a, we do a really good job now of educating the patients of what to expect. So we get less and less calls. So That's good. So t talk about the training path to become a prolotherapist. Yeah. After medical school, what does a student have to do? What I normally recommend is they go, the, I think some of the best training is at the University of Wisconsin. So they have the Hemwall Hackett Foundation named after Dr. Hemwall Dr. Hackett, the originator, and Dr. Patterson, who was at University of Madison for many years, may he rest in peace. He was a close friend. Uh, then uh, they have a training in October, so I recommend people go to that training. Once you go to that training, that four-day training, then uh, they have trips all over the globe. So they normally have experienced prolotherapists like me or other people 
then they you in other words you go on a trip to like peru or china or uh, uh latin america or central america and you know you so in other words there might be a hundred people and maybe you know there's 30 40 doctors that are getting trained and then they have these charity clinics there so you have experienced prolotherapists working side by side with uh, doctors wanting to, to learn prolotherapy. So I, cause you know, as well as I do, I think mentorship or hands-on training is the best training. You know, like when, when you and I go to a course and we do shots on with, in the normal courses, you do shots on a cadaver, but a cadaver is so much different than a live person. So I think if it was me and I was encouraging people to get into prolotherapy, you either have to get a mentor that's in your area or you have to go to like a place like uh, like overseas or a different place. And then you, you you do some mission work. And then like when I did when I did the 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 Honduras experience, believe it or not, Ryan, my first my two weeks that I was there through the Hemwell Hackett Foundation, I did one hundred and fifty cases of Prolo. So in other words, I did thousands of injections. You know what I mean? So after two weeks of intensive uh, training and 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 all those patients, you know, I was I was pretty good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so for for somebody who wants to be a prolotherapist, they they can be a, a pediatrician, an internal medicine doc, and just go to this four day training, and and that's all they need. Yeah, there's other organizations. Just I mentioned the one I recommend. Yeah. I am a member of the American Academy of Orthopedic Medicine. They have training. That there's there's an osteopathic associate osteopathic prolotherapy association that's outstanding too. Okay. So obviously, I would say go to several of these. But 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 the only one. Well, that's not true. The American Association of Orthopedic Medicine now has training in other countries too. Okay. Let, let's just agree that you have to go to some courses okay. and then you have to, I would say you should learn ultrasound, yeah. like go to some ultrasound courses and then try to go to one of the training, you know, when, when they do training like in Central America or Mexico or, cause you definitely want to have experienced prolotherapists like by your side, like when you're doing your first neck cases and stuff. Yeah. It doesn't sound like maybe there is, uh, that, that there's like official fellowship training for this. It's just a, an additional course for anybody to take the, the, the osteopaths. I don't know if you ever heard of this. There's a neuromuscular residency in osteopathy. You know, when mm -hmm. you're an osteopathic physician, that, that residency, it, prolotherapy, you have to do like a bunch of prolotherapy training. Okay. So, and then, then what I would recommend if somebody is in there, they're going to be a family physician or they're going to be a physiatrist. I would really recommend your elective time. Cause you know, like there's residents or whatever, where they might do some elective time with a prolotherapist. Like that's what I would recommend. Like do your elective time. Like I did, I did it with Dr. Hamwell. So I had two months of training hands-on with Dr. Hemwell. Okay. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. For the future primary care physician who is going to refer to a physiatrist, what do you wish they knew about prolotherapy so that they could help their patients better? It, yeah, Ryan, I think it goes back to they really understand mostly the, uh, the degenerative cascades. So I think uh, 
you know, like, you know, as well as I do, uh, you know, like just relieving inflammation that doesn't cure people of pain. So the, the model has to change. Like, so I, the family physician, you, you have the obligation to the patient, I believe, to really understand why a person has an autoimmune disease, why a person, you know, has chronic pain. And, and, and we got to get out of the model like chronic pain is because you got a rotator cuff tear. So you're telling me the only thing wrong with this shoulder is that they got a rotator cuff tear. You know what I mean? It's like ridiculous. Their mm -hmm. ligaments are an issue. Their labrum's an issue. Their joint's an issue. The musculature's an issue. You know what I mean? It, in other words, osteoarthritis is a whole organ disease. Mm -hmm. You know, and then a person has high blood pressure. You know, you got to address all the causes, you know. Yeah. They're stressed at work. They're stressed in their marriage. They're overweight. They eat crappy. You know, they, they're a negative person. Like we have to start treating the whole person. And in, in regard to chronic pain, you got to treat like, you know, how the foot joints connected to the knee joint connected <laughs> to the hip joint. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? You have to have the skill set of like being able to evaluate the whole structure and correct what needs to be corrected and try to cure the person of the problem instead of managing it. Because managing it means the person's going to need you. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, the, I don't know if you know you know this, but the Mayo Clinics, I used to have hanging in my office, there was a famous quote from one of the Mayo brothers. This is like 100 years ago. And it said, the job of the physician is to is to make the person not need the physician. Yeah. And isn't that profound? If, if every patient, what do you need to do so the person doesn't need you, you know, in the future? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we got to get more into that instead of pain management and disease management. It's not working. You know what I mean? The costs are going crazy. If physicians can take the primary role of like, we are going to understand health. What does a healthy joint look like? What does healthy blood look like? You know, what does a healthy lifestyle look like? And we practice that. We're going to be in a position to really significantly alter the course of people's lives because, you know, we're, we're addressing the cause of the problem instead of the symptoms. Try to put yourself out of business with every patient. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Doesn't yeah. that make sense? No, yeah. it makes it makes sense. That's what sense. I do. That's what I've done for 25 years. Yeah. Like I get. Yeah. Anyway. What specialties do you work the closest with? I'd, you're going to find it funny. You know who, who probably is the closest one is chiropractors. Because chiropractors understand that if they adjust a spine and they can't hold the adjustment. In other words, they can't hold the adjustment. Then what does that mean, Ryan? It means they got ligament laxity or ligament weakness, right? Mm. So, the, so, so to me, the, the specialty that thinks most like a prolotherapist are chiropractors. In regard to traditional medicine, believe it or not, it's probably other physiatrists, you know, it's, it's other physiatrists, but, uh, I, I'd like to tell you that I got all these orthopedic surgeons referring to me, but I don't, you know, I, I, I try to educate them and there's so much in the surgical model of things, you know, they just don't get, do you, do you know, I had an orthopedic surgeon who was 80 years old, did joint replacements this whole time. And my PA, I was training her. And I asked the guy, I said to him, Dr. Smith, I'll just call his name Dr. Smith. 
tell me what causes osteoarthritis. Okay, so an orthopedic surgeon, his whole career, he did joint replacement. I said, what actually causes a joint to break down? Then he said, oh, you know, the bone marrow, the pumping, and da, da, da. I'm like, Dr. Smith, it's a, it's a lay person. Just explain it to a lay person. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, I don't know. And then he said to me, well, how would you explain it? I would say, I would say to a lay person, we'll just call the lay person Margaret. I'd say, Margaret, you know you hurt on this side of the knee. Well, there's ligaments that connect the knee together on that side. And when the ligament can't control the motion of the bone because it's weakened, it's torn, it's injured, then with every step, your bones move in a destructive manner. And that destructive manner causes the other ligaments in the knee to get injured, causes the tendons to get injured, causes the meniscus to get injured, and eventually causes the death of your cartilage cells. So if you want to get cured of the problem, we have got to get rid of the abnormal destructive joint motion. And the treatment of that is prolotherapy. Prolotherapy stimulates the ligaments to tighten. And, And I use the analogy of a door hinge. If one of the screws is loose, Ryan, on a door hinge and there's another screw and you don't take a screwdriver and tighten that screw, what's going to happen to the other screw? And the person right away says it's going to loosen. Once that hinge is loosened, what's going to happen to the next hinge? It's going to get loosened. So that's why somebody has knee pain, then eventually they have ankle pain, then they have hip pain, or you have a little neck pain and it progresses up and down the spine because joint instability is a progressive disorder. So you can't not do something about it. You have to correct it. And the treatment to correct it is prolotherapy. Interesting. What do you wish you knew before going into prolotherapy that you know now? I guess what I wish I knew is how much people are struggling in their daily lives. Because, you know, now I don't have to see as many patients, da da da. You know, I'm really getting to know them, Ryan. And that would, I would encourage the young people who are going into medicine. I said, you have got to learn about what's going on with your patients because the str- stressors, you know, there's so many broken homes that people aren't appreciated like they should be at work. And they're really struggling as human beings. And we are supposed to be in health care. Ryan, it's health care. So we have to, as physicians, we have to know about health and we have got to know about care. And what care is, is that you have got to ask your patients about what's going on. And you know, one of the best questions I ask them, Ryan, is all I got to do with a new patient is say, and John, what have you been thinking about lately? Isn't that a great question? What are you thinking about lately? And I'm just telling you, it's shocking what they'll tell me. They're like, oh, you know, my son, he's living back home and he's addicted to drugs. Like, don't you think that's important for me to know as their physician? You know what I mean? And yeah. just think about the next time they're here and I, and I say to them, hey, how's your son doing? Do you think like that's going to help the patient-doctor relationship? Mm-hmm. So that's what I wish early on I did more of. Because, you know, you're just trained and somebody has a knee pain and I start injecting their knee. You know, so I would more early on, I would have really gotten to know them better. And it's so rewarding. I'm just telling you. So I, I don't, a lot of my patients, I would consider us almost more on a friendly basis. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they know their doctor cares about them. And I'm just telling you, 
most of my patients, man, they really care about me. They, they, in other words, like I go into the room and they ask me how I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like that's a better way to practice than, oh, someone's got a knee and I'm going to do PRP on them. Yeah. So. What do you like the most about being a prolotherapist? I, I would say the number one thing I like is uh, the Christmas cards I get that somebody's <laughs> been pain free. No, I'm serious. Yeah. They've been pain free for 10 years. You know, remember, I said I've been doing this for 25 years. And you and our office is just inundated with gifts and and sweets and all that stuff. Like I get uh, letters often. I just do about about you know just from people doing great. You know they they appreciate their life would have been totally different if they wouldn't have come here. Yeah. What do you like the least? It's the business of it. It's the business of it. It's like. The worst part of it is, is like, I'll see somebody one visit and, you know, and, and I'll tell them like the average number of visits, Ryan, for to, to a prolotherapist is four visits. Like you can't get a ligament strong or a tendon repaired with one treatment, right? So you, so you explain it to people and then they'll get one visit and then they're not better than they, you know, you know, and then, you know, and then there's a lot of, you know, stress that comes with that. And, you know, I, you know, so that's kind of the downside of it. I think people are struggling as people. So if you don't help them right away, like with one visit, you know, some of the people don't return. And, and so I, I guess, um, that that's why I think we have to talk about what's going on in their life because, and then, and then we try to do a good job telling them that it's four visits, five visits, three visits. You know, I try to give them a range. Mm -hmm. So, now, because when because when you're in the chronic disease business, like chronic pain, things aren't going to get better typically with one visit. So I, the hardest part is just when people spend money, right? Because I'm, I, you know, like what I do is not covered under Medicare. So people have to spend their own money. So sometimes it's hard for them to show up for a second visit when even though I could show that the tendon has repaired some, if they don't feel better Sometimes they don't come, you know, the second time. So I'd say that's kind of because you feel bad for them because we can get them better, but they 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 just you yeah. Know. And and that was going to be my my next question was a, a lot of what you're talking about sounds like it's not very accepted yet in the in the traditional medical world. And so the the question was going to be how how accepted is it in the insurance company world? Yeah, the. As you know, and this is the trend, I'm just telling you, this is going to be a trend. There's going to be more and more self-insured companies. Like you, you'll see all these big companies, like, you know, as we get more and more conglomerates, Walmart, Kmart, you know, uh, Google, Amazon. Well, Amazon's see working that, on their own insurance right now. No, but you understand. Yeah. And what they're, what they're going to cover is going to be stuff like this. They're going to cover stuff like this because it's so much less expensive. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's, you know, and I've even written an article on that. It's like, you know, one tenth the cost when it's all said and done. And sometimes it's one fiftieth the cost of surgery and all the ramifications. So in other words, like more and more companies are going to go to this. So it's definitely the future, even in regard to, and eventually I think Medicare will wake up, I guess. And, and they'll, and they'll really review prolotherapy openly you know, but, but because the government's broke, they're hesitant to add any new things, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But no, so private insurers, they, 
they accept prolotherapy, the government insurance right now, it's a non-covered procedure. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a prolotherapist? Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm still doing it. (laughs) I want to do it till the day I die. I'm still learning stuff, you know, and you know, medicine, like I told you, I got a motion scanner. So it's just fun. You got to realize like for half of my career, I didn't have ultrasound. I didn't have a motion scan. You know what I mean? So I was kind of going based on symptoms. So man, can you imagine the fun I'm having now? (laughs) No, but you know what I mean? Like I can, some, like a lady came in, you know, she had thumb issues. It wasn't really hurting her much and we didn't know whether or not I should treat her or not. So I can just compare the one thumb to the painful thumb and see, is it the same? Is it not the same? So she's, she still had some instability. So we went and treated it. You know, she, she does massage and stuff. Mm -hmm. So she puts a lot of force on it. So yeah, no, it's still fun. And absolutely. Any last words of wisdom for the pre-med or medical student out there, or even the resident who's listening to this thinking they want to be, look more into prolotherapy? The, I, I guess what I would do is the most disabling disease in the whole world for lost uh, years and lost days of work, lost days of enjoyment is uh, chronic pain and osteoarthritis. So in other words, the most disabling of lost years working and all that is chronic pain and osteoarthritis. So I would encourage you to research, is joint instability the cause of that? And if it is, you have got to resolve the joint instability to cure chronic pain. And I believe that if you do give prolotherapy a try in your future practice, that you will see that everything that I said on this podcast was absolutely correct. All right, so there you have it again, Dr. Ross Hauser, prolotherapist and a leading expert with book chapters and books and articles and all kinds of fun stuff as he continually talked about during the episode. He's super excited, obviously very passionate about prolotherapy, and maybe you are now too, so go check it out. Go check out everything that he's doing on his website. And if you are interested in it, hit him up and let them know that you heard about him here on the podcast. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories.